You are listening to The Black Landscape with Andrea Spearman, where Black excellence is always trending. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Andrea Spearman, and this is The Black Landscape, where we engage with emerging and established Black leaders here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or in the comments of our social media. I am Andrea, and I am a light-skinned Black woman with my dark brown curly hair up in a poof today. I'm wearing my dusty pink glasses and a bright yellow t-shirt with electric blue letters that read Hulk and an image of an orange. (laughs) Don't ask me where I got this shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Our special guest today is the actor's actor, Fred Pitts. Please describe yourself to the people. Good morning. Good day, everyone. My name is Fred Pitts. I'm a Brown-skinned, black male with a very receding, receding hairline. Um, I've got about five o'clock shadow on my face because I didn't have to go into the office today. I am wearing a blue, sorry, a green and light green Oakland A's sweatshirt. You know, morning my team leaving and going to Vegas, but that's a different story for a different day. Don't even get us started on (laughs) Well, that's a different podcast. Well, welcome, 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 Fred. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So for those who may not be familiar, please briefly share who you are. I will do this as briefly as I can. Uh, my name is Fred Pitts. I am an actor and someone now described me as a solo performer. I am also a licensed physician. I am board certified in emergency medicine and I worked in emergency departments in Oakland and Berkeley for almost 20 years and I live in San Francisco, married, no children, which means I still have my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, look, big ups to all of us childless on purpose people. Amen. And big ups to people who have children. God bless y'all. Mm-hmm. Right. Over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for so much for sharing that briefly. That's, oh, we, you know, well, thank you so much, first of all, for your service on the oh. front lines of uh, medicine during these past couple of years. It's been a tough mm-hmm. time for all, but thank you specifically for your service. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, let's go way back. <laughs> Describe growing up here in the Bay Area. Like, how did you first get interested in acting? Well, first of all, I did not grow up in the Bay Area. I grew up oh. in the Midwest, Dayton, Ohio. Uh-huh. Yep, <laughs> yep. Dayton, Ohio. That's where I was uh, born. My father was from Georgia, moved up to Dayton to work for the Air Force in the 50s. And my mom was a has been was born in Dayton. It was an educator. They met in five years, four years later, they had me. So uh, that's where I grew up. True Midwest with okay. one brother, Mark, who lives in Oakland now. Mm, OK, well, then what brought you here to the Bay Area? Well, um, life in the Midwest, high school, college in Michigan, med school in Ohio. And then when I was applying to residency, I, my brother at the same time was in law school and he decided he was going to come out West. And I thought about coming out West for residency, but I ended up in Chicago. And then when I was done with that, through some unforeseen circumstances at the time, um, there were no full-time ER jobs in Chicago because there were a few vacancies and a whole lot of people who got out of residency. So I, since my brother was out here and we thought about just a big change, my ex-wife and I, I applied for a job in Oakland on a lark and they hired me. So that's what brought me out to California. Um, I got a job in Oakland working in an emergency department right after residency. Okay. 
Interesting. Yep. You know, there have been a few people who have magically found themselves here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. How, and since we're here talking about medicine, let's keep going. How, <laughs> how did you find this environment, the Bay Area culture, different than back eight? That's a good question. The, when I was training in emergency medicine in, in Chicago, it was a downtown hospital. So we had pretty much everything. It was Northwestern. So we had pretty much everything just off of Michigan Avenue, if you know Chicago at all. And it was a very urban setting. And then when I moved out to Oakland uh, at the hospital where I worked, it was a great hospital. I mean, I loved Summit. It's center of Oakland. It was, I used to describe it as um, a public hospital with a private patient class and sometimes a private hospital with a public patient class. So you had everybody. Mm -hmm. You did. And what was interesting out here, there were a lot of people who, had to use the emergency department because a lot of people didn't have primary care doctors or their doctors were busy. So we did a lot of, we did a lot of emergency care, but you end up doing a lot of kind of primary care as well. Mm-hmm. But I found that the patients I dealt with were for the most part, very grateful for the services that we could provide. And it was interesting because I would, because I worked in Oakland. Um, I didn't live in Oakland. I lived in San Francisco. But if I was tooling around Oakland, I would, I would see some of my emergency department patients on the regular, you know, just out in, out in the world, um, especially some of the ones who were uh, less fortunate, mostly undomiciled. Um, I would see them walking down the streets and they'd recognize me and yell my name out or, you know, yell my name out incorrectly in the middle of a subway. <laughs> so, you know, that happened. But I, I, I loved the work. I did. But like anything else, you know, you do that kind of work for a long period of time, almost 20 years, you burn out. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's it's an ongoing issue. Like, as you said, you're in the ER seeing people who should be making appointments to see their doctor regularly. But unfortunately, they can't due to Mm -hmm. a variety of financial and and home situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of reasons. I mean, doctor's offices are busy. Um, They they. Medicine's an interesting world in the U.S., and that's a like a, that's another discussion for a different day. Yeah. So you you do your, you do the best you can. I mean, I was I fortunately or unfortunately, I say fortunately for me, I was out of emergency medicine practice when COVID hit. I'd left the ER 2013, I think, mm. and then did like a year and a half working in a public health clinic in San Francisco. And then I did five years working um, workers' comp. We're running a workers' comp clinic. But we did have some urgent care. So we did have some, you know, COVID cases that would come in at the beginning of COVID. And that was interesting because we had no idea what it was. We had no idea how contagious it was. We didn't know how to protect ourselves. You know, supplies were scarce. So every day you went into work, you were scared for what could happen. But mm. this was this was your job. It was a very scary time. And it was. I'm, you know, we're glad you made it out. I'm glad we all made it out. <laughs> right. You know, God bless those that didn't. Right. <laughs> it's it's one of those things with I'm also a history geek. We, our generation has never experienced a pandemic. You know, I, I knew all about the Spanish flu from like 1918 mm-hmm. and how long that lasted. Then that, that lasted, you know, anywhere from three to five years and, I remember all the conversations about, oh, this will be over in a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> it won't be. That was so, wasn't that a wild time? 
It was. Like, oh, you know, we're going to be back in about a week or two. Oh my weeks. goodness. Oh, next because, month. Yeah, because uh, I was I was doing I was doing theater then and we had a show that had opened the week before lockdown. And they were like we're shutting everything down and said we'll be back in like 3 weeks. And that didn't happen and, and even with my solo show, my solo show was supposed to premiere April 11th, 2020 mm. at the Marsh. And everything shut down three weeks before. Yeah. So it was like, and they're like, we'll be back in three months. No, we won't. No. Yeah. Yeah, those those early predictions were really just silly. Oh my goodness. Well, we nobody knew. <laughs> nobody, nobody knew. Right. Nobody knew. You know. They did. But we may, we're we're here. Yeah. Lessons and, learned. You know, with with your current role in like clinical work and what's been one of your more surprising or heartwarming experience, like a positive story that's come out of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what's interesting. Um, When I left clinical practice, which was July of 2020, I stumbled on a job working for a pharmaceutical company, a drug company. I won't name it, but a, a drug company. And I, Got in and started doing work on drugs. It's drug safety. So basically, you know, those commercials of, you know, don't take this medication if you have two legs, if you have three legs, if you're white, if you're black, if you've taken this medication before, if you live in Colorado, that kind of stuff. That's kind of what my job is. You fueled all those issues that happen with people taking medications and you put them in labels. And I started out working on a lot of HIV drugs. Then I got transferred to the remdesivir or the Vecluri team, which was it's the drug that was used for COVID. Mm. So for a year and a half at the height of COVID, that's what I did, you know, drug safety for COVID. So I got to watch around the world a new drug that no one knew about get farmed out to the world and see what it does. And it, that that I found was amazing. I, I sit back and think, well, yeah, I was kind of one of the safety safety doctors looking at information coming in from all over the world about the medication and, and how it you know would save lives and shorten the course of disease. So. That I thought was amazing because I was never on that side of medicine before. Beforehand, I was the guy who would prescribe medication. Right. But it's interesting being on this side, you know, trying to make sure the medications were safe. So that mm-hmm. was so an amazing experience. Side. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been an amazing experience. It still is. I no longer work on that drug. I work on some other drugs, but it's still, I like it. Also because I don't have to take care of patients anymore. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I loved it, but I did my duty and now I'm done. I love that. So when did, that's Mike. So in that time, when mm-hmm. did the acting bug hit you? How did you transition away from medicine a little bit into that? I didn't transition away at all. I got on the stage at five years old oh. doing the kindergarten pageant, 1970. Yeah, I'm dating myself. Um, singing a song called Happy Go Lucky Little Sled with a knit cap on and oh. knit, mittens that my mother made and hot lights and sweated to death and my voice cracked. And somewhere out there is the original recording. I think my brother has it. Yeah. But I've been doing theater. If I looked back on my life, I'd probably say I've done some kind of theater, something maybe 95% of the years I've been alive. Oh, wow. There are very, there are very few years in my life. I didn't do anything. I think the only years I didn't do anything theatrical was maybe in residency. I mean, I did something all through grade school, all through high school, every year in college. I ran a review medical review show in medical school. And then when I came out here, I, I think I took a year or two out of theater just because I was trying to get my world into emergency medicine. Then I got back into acting. So I've been doing it 
pretty much nonstop since then. Wow. I'm insane. <laughs> so. I, I'm trying to imagine that because going through, you know, residency as a, as a, as a, you know, do, young doctor and then mm-hmm. working in the ER where those, I know those hours are all over the place, untenable everywhere yep. all the time. How did you manage to be also in shows? Because those theater rehearsals be three or four hours and five days a week. They want you. Yes. To they, How you, did you do that. Here's the answer. When you're an actor, you have no choice. We just do it. So give you an example so that I can remember one weekend where I had a show on Thursday night. I had a 7 a.m. shift on Friday. I had a show Friday night. I had a show Saturday evening. And then, no, I had a night shift Saturday evening. And then I had a show on Sunday, a matinee at two. And then I had to be at work at five o'clock in the afternoon. That only happened once or twice, but you learn how to, you learn how to deal with it. <laughs> you just do. Lord. Goodness. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot. Cause like, I loved it. I loved it. I myself uh, have an acting background and mm-hmm. not when I was in the, the throes of it, when I was younger, I can't imagine having to be on that same. <laughs> can't imagine it. And even though at this point in my life now, I I do work a lot of hours, they're mm-hmm. very much different from being on my feet, working with patients, working with, you know, b- blood and things. So, well, you know, the nice, th- th- you know, the, the, you know, the nice thing about it, it was um, my acting teacher used to call it free therapy mm. because yeah. when you're with the work I did, you had to keep your emotions in check. Mm-hmm. because you had to be the stabilizing force no matter who you dealt with. And you dealt with, you know, you dealt with life, you dealt with birth, you dealt with death all the time. And being able to perform was that release. Mm-hmm. That was that moment where you could be angry, you could be happy, you could be crazy, you could be a murder, you could be whatever, you could let those emotions out. So that was, acting was and still is, in a way, my release in therapy. Mm. I love that for you. Thank you. So it worked out. <laughs> it absolutely did. With that, we're going to take a short break. To catch up on previous episodes of The Black Landscape, download on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, and Spotify. Be sure to leave a review, five stars. When you come back, we will hear more from Fred Pitts. We are back with frontline worker and actor Fred Pitts. Now, Fred, you have a show that's currently at the Marsh in Berkeley called Aren't You? Tell us about that, because what I read is that you started going on this journey to the to the missions and they started mm-hmm. thinking you were who? <laughs> well, OK, the backstory. I'm a history geek mm-hmm. and I stumbled upon one of the missions on a weekend away. I was like, oh, I should see all the California missions because I knew about them because as a history geek since you were seven, you read about this stuff. So I decided to do a self trip because that's what history geeks do. We That's our idea of vacation. So I did this trip all the way down to see the missions and every, it started happening once and then again, again, someone was like, you look just like whomever, you know, insert famous black person here. Has anybody ever told you that? And the first or second time I thought, then this is, okay, this is, 
not abnormal. It's happened before, but it just kept happening. And at the time, I was kind of posting it on Facebook because at the time, Facebook was kind of new. But I kept posting it every time it happened. And people would tune in every day and go, so, so who did you look like today? Who did somebody <laughs> say you look like today? And then finally, at the end, a couple of friends said, you should make that into a show. And I thought, I don't do solo performance. But I pulled all the posts down, saved them in a file. Seven, oh, no, a few years later, uh, just after I got married the second time, um, I said, well, maybe I should just think about this. And so I went to the marsh and took a course and went with a guy named David Ford, who helped me develop a show. And that's how it came out. Instead of just tell, being a show about. who they thought you looked like. We want to know. <laughs> well, I'm not going to give away everything because you got to see the but show to see all this other things. What, what was the one that really caught you off guard? Like. The one that caught me completely off guard was Billy D. Williams. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, see, here's the funny thing. Um, because the one I get the one I get around here is Barry Bonds. I don't get that, but people say Barry Bonds. Um, and honestly, back in the 80s, 90s, when everybody had the Magnum PI mustache, because that's what we did, okay. um, it was Richard Roundtree, which if you look at an old headshot of mine, when I had the mustache and put up a picture of Shaft, Kind of. So that wasn't too crazy. But like, you know, Billy D. Williams, handsome man, but I don't look like Billy D. Williams at all. No. 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 But it was basically right. you, it, it, yeah. handsome man as you are, you all <laughs> do not look the same. That's my point. That's the point. That's the point. But then it evolved, the show kind of evolved into this study of history and walking in the shoes of a black man. And I tie in, you know, our own history as as, as black people with like the, the history of like Native Americans in this country and the fact that history gets rewritten, you know, by the victors and or just, you know, the bad parts that just kind of gloss over for whatever reason. So it's it really is that journey of looking at, you know, the missions themselves and that history, but I also intersperse my thoughts of being you know a black man who's a history geek and saying this is similar to what we went through and this is what happened here and why are these people thinking i look like this person and why what's that way of thinking and so it's it ends up working out it's it's amazing that it does but it does it kind of makes sense that's so funny and that you know what you could even go i'm sure you do in the show but like it's such an interesting concept in the community where uh the palm people uh, mm -hmm. really try to act and pretend as if they don't see the differences in all of us. Like we are not a monolith. Of people. Exactly. And it's like, we clearly come in different shades. So yeah, there's something fascinating about, and I use the word bias because we all have them. There was a book I read. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a, called biased biased by Jennifer Eberhardt. Mm -hmm. She's a professor at Stanford and she wrote this amazing book about bias. And she talks about the fact that we all have them, you know, no matter what your race, if you're looking at people who are different than you, we tend sometimes, our mind just tends to kind of blend everybody together, you know, people who don't look like us. You put, you know, black people in the room, you know, and they'll be able to pick out the, the separate black people, but you put them in a room with a bunch of, you know, white people or Asian people or in the same with any other race, you know, you can identify your own, but you have trouble sometimes differentiating between people of other races. And that was common in her book. And that's what I found fascinating. You know, that whole idea of, you know, just the bias and just, and it's not even, and I'm not, and I don't use the R word, the racist word, um, because I think I don't view everybody out there as a bigot. There's one woman in the show who really is a bigot and I call her out, but there's just that baseline. 
baseline bias or prejudice that people have. Mm-hmm. And I try my best in the show to just say, look, we're not blind to this. You know, we know what's going on. We understand it. We hear it. We think about it. Um, but we'd like you all to be conscious of it as well. Yeah. As, as, you know, as simple or, or challenging as that is. So, I mean, I'm maybe oversimplifying it, but that's kind of what you have to do in a show that's an hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, theater is very, let me rephrase that. Theater audiences in Bay Area in general are white. Um, there are a few of us that come, but not certainly not as many. And I've loved the audiences, but the reactions are certainly different. When I have a night where I have, you know, a few more of us in the audience, the reactions are totally different because they all they all get it. Right. You know, they all know the laughs are louder. Um, when the audience has got very few minorities in it, they laugh a lot, but there's a discomfort there. Because hopefully some of what I'm saying and some of the things I've gone through will be familiar mm-hmm. and make people think. You know, there's a new tagline I have for the show that says, you'll laugh, you'll cringe, you'll think. And I hope you do one of those three things. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. I'm not there. The show's not to berate people. It's funny. It's, it is a generally funny show. But the idea is I just want people to listen to what I have to say. And then hopefully if they ask a question or if they're uncomfortable, if they think about it a day or two or a week later, I've done my job. Absolutely. And you know, it's <laughs> I've recently had my own mistaken identity. Mm. And it's so funny because I was literally in line at the uh-huh. march in Berkeley. Just oh December. <laughs> to go okay. To, uh, okay. What happened? To, to see our, our, our other friend, uh, Don Reed show. Oh, so, oh yeah. Yeah. This, this the, uh, white woman, this older white woman, she was like, you were so great uh, last month. And I was like, have we met? <laughs> Did she think you were Malia Mills? I was another actress who she, I guess had done a show in San Francisco. Okay. I forget the name of the company that she mentioned, but <clears throat> apparently she and I looked like, and she was like, weren't you? And I was like, what show? Cause I am a, I have, I'm a, a dancer as well. So, mm-hmm. But it's been a while, so I didn't know if she was talking about the five years ago. Oh my goodness! <laughs> he had seen a video of mine, so I wasn't quite clear. I'm like, what? What show, beloved? <laughs> and she's like, oh, the, the theater show over at the thing, and she told me I was like, that no, that wasn't me. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that, that wasn't me. She's like, oh. So true, Don Reed story. Great. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. If so you true. It, great. <laughs> hopefully, she did, and I'm glad you were great in the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, no, see, wonderful. You mentioned Don Reed, you know, a mutual friend of ours. So there's a running joke Don and I have about, you know, looking like each other, but it actually came to fruition in front of the marsh. Mm-hmm. This is last fall when my show was running still there uh, in San Francisco. And I was standing outside of the marsh. And if you've been there, you've got, they have the posters up on the walls outside. Mm-hmm. Don's show. The Never Too Late show was on one side, and in mine, aren't you, was on the other side of the posters. And I'm standing in front of my poster, kind of doing a street commercial thing so I can get people to come in. This one guy walks up, and I said, hey, um, do you want to see a show here at the Marsh? It's where my show's running here. And he's, he looks up. He looks up at Don's poster. And he says, oh, yeah, I would love to see your show. That sounds really good. I said, oh, oh no, actually, that's actually that's Don Reed. So my poster's right here. That's my show. And he kind of looks at my poster 
looks at Don's poster. It's like, oh, really? You're not Don? <laughs> like, no, I'm this guy right here. I said, I said, here's a card. Come see my show anyway, because you're the kind of person who needs to see this right. show. You need to come to this show now. I mean, literally, our faces were right there. And he thought I looked more like, he thought I was Don, no matter what. Even though I'm pointing at my poster saying, this is me. Child. Yeah, see? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell the people where they can find your show. <laughs> where they my can go down to the marsh and see you. My show is running at the Marsh in Berkeley. It's one block away from the downtown Berkeley Bart stop on Alston Way, just up the street between the Target store and the FedEx building, uh, yeah, Federal Express building. It's running Saturday nights at 8.30 from February 10th, and then it closes uh, March 2nd. The runtime is about 70 minutes. Come see the show. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really funny show. It's a great show for Black History Month because it's like, look, <laughs> see the show. You'll get some history, too. Yeah, and people can find tickets where? Uh, www.themarsh.org. Awesome. Yeah, if you go to the main page, you'll see a bunch of different shows. You'll see my face. Just click on my face and poster, and it'll take you to the link. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you here, Fred. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this. Yay, I'm so glad. Now, tell the audience where they can like follow you on social media. Well, I am on Facebook. You just type in Fred Pitts. You can find me. Um, my Instagram pr- presence is Fred Pitts Jr. with no vowels. So it's F-R-D-P-T-T-S-J-R is my Instagram. The, those are the two best ways to find me. And I'm still working on building a website. But, you know, Facebook and Instagram, you type in Fred Pitts, you can find me both those places. Wonderful. And these links will be in our show notes. Thank you again for being here, Fred. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, you all tap in and support black creativity. Hope to see you at the show. Thank all of you out there for listening and supporting another season. Again, leave a review of the show on Apple podcasts or in the comments of our social media. This has been another episode of the black landscape with Andrea Spearman, where black excellence is always trending. <laughs>